word in this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your precious Word. And Lord, we stand on the reality that Your Word is truth. Lord, we've heard a lot of voices this week. Many that have spoken things that aren't true. Things that are contrary to Your ways. Lord, I pray You'd silence all those that it be Your voice we hear this morning. We hear Your truth. We specifically, Lord, experience the refreshment of what it means to be free in You. And for that, Lord, we give You thanks and we give You praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. Up to this point in Galatians, it's been pretty deeply theological. And in Galatians 5, there seems to be a a shift from what you could say gospel theology to gospel practice. Or theology to living. Or theology applied which really is Christian living. Paul this morning mentions a phrase. It's, it's not an uncommon phrase in Paul's teaching. It's about running a race. He uses other imagery about fighting a battle or going to war as a soldier to illustrate the Christian life. But here he talks about running a race and how his concern was that these Galatians, these, these young Christians who'd begun to run the race, in other words, who'd begun to live out the Christian life, were now being hindered. And so he talks about that. And he talks about what's hindering them, who's hindering them, and what they can do to begin to run unhindered. And instead, he uses again this athletic imagery for you and I, because we kind of get that. We we, we know what it means to run. And I was reading about this uh, strongman competition and how these guys would rope a a car around them, and, and whoever could pull at a certain distance the fastest would win. That had to have been a lot of fun. Um, then there was this guy who tried the airplane. It's no, no joke. Strapped an airplane on him and, and started to pull it. He wasn't racing, though. He was just trying to get three steps or so. And so, and, and now I think that was Jay who, who did that one. But, I mean, there's some serious power when you can pull an airplane. Reality is you can't go far and you, you can't go fast. And you're, because you're trying to move, but you're hindered. And God's never designed for you and I to live our Christian life pulling airplanes or trying to pull cars, trying to carry a burden we were never meant to carry. He's allowed it and He's made it possible for you and I to run in real freedom. Now, this word has been all through Galatians, hasn't it? Freedom. Grace. They've kind of been stamped on the pages with reason. Because the reality is there are enemies of Christian freedom. One we've addressed... And one we'll need to address a little more this morning. There's two of them. Because freedom can often be abused. It can be misunderstood. All kinds of people claim freedom in Christ, but yet indulge in all kinds of things that have nothing to do with Christ. And they need, we need a biblical picture of what it means to be free. So he addresses these two enemies. The first one is legalism. We've discussed this already some. But maybe we need to do a little bit more. Legalism is simply this, working to earn the favor of God. To do things, to work hard, even good things. But with the mindset, if I do enough of them, or if I do it right, I'll earn God's favor. That's legalism. 
whether it's according to our own rules or God's rules even, it's working to earn the favor of God. And that's legalism. And Paul gives an example of legalism in chapter 5, verse 2. I say to you that if you receive circumcision... Now, circumcision, you might at this point think this is a bad thing because he keeps ripping it, but he's not really ripping it. The act itself wasn't bad. It's just that they trusted that the act would bring them and earn them favor with God. Circumcision in the Old Testament was an outward sign of entrance into the spiritual community, of the covenant community of God's people. It was ministered to all Israelite children, obviously male, when they were eight days old. But as time grew, especially now in this day, what was being taught by these Judaizers is these Gentiles came to faith. They said, okay, you're not really all the way there yet until you become circumcised. So they put this burden on them to be circumcised. With the idea being now you can not only be saved, but you'll be more spiritual like the rest of us. That type of mindset. Paul's addressing, that's the example here of legalism. And he addresses it throughout this letter. These Judaizers were relentless to say to be right with God, you had to be circumcised. But Paul addresses this in other letters too. It's not the issue of necessarily just circumcision, but Sabbath keeping, feasts. See, the New Testament's against anything, no matter how big or small, that we put on the table to try to earn favor with God. If we put anything we do as a means by which God will look more highly upon us or give us more favor, and we say we can earn that, then we're undercutting the gospel as legalism. What's the effect of legalism? If you look at verse 9, it's dangerous because a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, the effect of legalism is it's contaminating. It's contaminating. The example is circumcision, but the effect is contamination. What Paul's saying is legalism spreads just a little bit, and then it spreads more violently. It's like saying one drop of poison isn't a big deal. Tell your body that. It's dangerous stuff. It's just like legalism. It, it begins to spread and spread. And I've talked to several who've come out of churches that were very legalistic. And at first it wasn't so bad, but they noticed it becoming worse and worse and worse to the point that it became very suffocating to them and they had a guilt-laden Christianity. And it, it spreads. And Paul's concerned about that because it's hindering their running. He's saying you've got to watch out here. There's this issue of circumcision, but it's bigger than that. It's legalism, and it's, it spreads, it contaminates whole churches. That's why we all have a responsibility to reject anything not in line with the truth of the Gospel. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And I know I've said this over and over, and Paul said it over and over because it needs to be said over and over. <laughs> We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And the gospel of works must be weeded out completely. Notice the serious tone in verse 10. I mean, it gets really serious here. One, if you look at verse 12 especially, would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Oh my goodness, Paul. <laughs> One translation says, tell those who are disturbing you I'd like to see the knife slip. Ooh. Is Paul being crude? I mean, what, what's Paul talking about here? Is he being insensitive? No, what Paul's trying to communicate is anything that perverts the gospel is to be met with great force. Because there's a lot at stake. He's trying to expose 
these Judaizers, these false teachers to this young church and saying, you gotta, you got to cut them off because they're, they're dangerous. They're contaminating the church. So you and I need to be passionate about protecting the gospel truth in the church. And Paul certainly modeled that. But there's a second enemy. It's not legalism, it's license. Now, that word's a unique word, and in our context, it's kind of helpful, actually. If someone wants to drive a car legally, they need a license. And a license gives them freedom to drive the car. Unfortunately, there's some who approach the Christian life that says, I have freedom now, license to do whatever I want. That's not the gospel. That also is an enemy of freedom in Christ. You see, legalism says obey the law and earn favor before God. License says forget the law, just throw it out. In other words, it's no good. Either one's wrong. You see, the thought goes if we're saved through faith alone, then our actions really don't matter. I'm free in Christ. That means I can live however I want. And when this is bought into, freedom in Christ all of a sudden becomes the basis for all kinds of loose living. This is not the gospel. People will say, well, I believed in Christ. I've heard this. I prayed the prayer. I received Christ. Now I'm going to heaven. So does it really matter what I do? Absolutely. Because that's not the gospel. That's an abuse of grace. And it's an enemy of freedom. The gospel, verse 7, I like what he says in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You see, the gospel was and never intended only to be believed. Gospel truth is always intended to be obeyed. I'll say it again because it's important. Gospel is never intended only to be believed. The gospel truth is always intended to be obeyed. And he uses this imagery again of running, and that obedience is fundamental to this part of running, about obeying in truth. If we're to run unhindered, we need to obey the truth, not as a means to earn favor with God, not, not at all. But it's a normal expression of what it means to be free in Christ. We don't throw the law out the window. The gospel's never intended to be merely accepted in our heads. It's always intended to be applied to our lives. And so Paul's setting out for us. There's two enemies to be living in freedom and running in freedom. License and legalism. You need to be aware of them. Both will hinder your Christian walk. But then he gets into these essentials for you and I. And this is helpful because these essentials, as we put them together, gives us a tremendous example, definition of what freedom in Christ is. So how do we apply this gospel to our lives so we run well? So we run unhindered? You have legalism on one side, you got license on the other, but then you have Christian freedom, and this text wonderfully connects the dots for us. And so I want to look at these verses, especially verse 5 and 6. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Let's start with this first component, if I may. The first essential is living by faith. Verse 5, we live by faith. We see throughout Galatians, Paul is always talking about faith. What he's doing here is instructing. He says, okay, 
Take this gospel theology, apply it to gospel living. It's really what he's saying. And at times we can see ourselves as employees of God. In other words, God's enlisted us for his service. We do these things then as employees. Just like an employee works for an employer, why does he do it? He doesn't do it for free. He does it to earn a wage. And isn't it easy sometimes to look at yourself as an employee of God? Paul addresses this in Romans 4, 4 through 5. He says, when a man works, i.e. he's an employee, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. In other words, any employer, if you're in this room and you're an employer, you know that you pay employees not as a gift to them, but as an obligation to them. You're obligated to give them money in return for their services. But then Paul says, However, to the man who does not work, but who trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So righteousness isn't an obligation or favor before God. It's not even an obligation. But it's how you and I exercise our faith. We're not working for God. We're trusting in God. There's a difference. We're not working for God. We're trusting in God. And Paul says if we try to work for God, look at verse 2. Behold, I say to you that if you receive circumcision, try to work for God, Christ will be of no benefit for you. Christ will be of no value to you. We'll lose the benefits of Christ. What he's being said is that when you and I depend upon our work, then basically we're saying we don't need Christ. We don't need Christ's work anymore. After all, we'll get her done. Either you need Christ for everything, or you need Christ for nothing. You and I need Christ for everything. No matter how small you might think it be, whenever you or I add the smallest work to our standing before God, we're undercutting the whole value of Christ. We trade the advantages of a free life in Christ for the obligations that were enslaved through a life of the law. Christ will become of no value to you. You'll lose the benefits of Christ in that way. We'll also gain, verse 3 says, we'll gain the burden of the law. Again, I testify to every man who receives circumcision that he's now under obligation to keep the whole law. Now we become under the burden of the law. We pick up one small part of the law, we pick up the whole deal. Now we've got to try to keep the whole thing. Meticulously. Perfectly. And thus we carry this whole burden. And as soon as you and I say, I'm going to do this in order to earn favor with God, then we've got to do everything to earn favor with God. We've taken the law and we've put that burden upon our shoulders. That's working for God. But that's not freedom. Verse 4, Paul says there's another problem here when you try to work for God. You've been severed from Christ. We miss the grace of God. Now, this verse can cause some confusion. There's a lot of folks who read this verse and start thinking, well, does this mean when it says fall from grace or severed that somebody can lose their salvation? Well, it's not what the Bible teaches as you look at, a whole, as you look at the totality of its teaching, which is a good point at this point to say whenever you read a verse, it's important a context, but also to put it with what does all of Scripture teach? If all of Scripture teaches something else, then it, then it appears that one verse is, you need to stop and look at that verse and study it and not take it and run with it. Some people take verses and run with them and develop a whole theology that's unbiblical and doesn't click with the rest of Scripture. 
And so we need to compare it with the rest of Scripture. Nowhere does it teach in the rest of Scripture you can lose your salvation. Not only that, all throughout this book, Paul's been calling them brethren. Brothers. And he's going to continue to call them that throughout the letter. And so as he refers to them as brothers, and not one time does he talk about them being unjustified, which is a word Paul never uses. It's not a term used because he doesn't talk about being unjustified. Matter of fact, as we read the letter, we see a strong confidence that the Spirit of God in these believers will bring them out of this. So it's not what Paul's talking about. But what's he talking about then? The word used from, the word Paul uses that we get their English phrase, fall from, literally means to lose grasp of. To lose hold on. The picture he's communicating to them is you're saved by grace, you clung to it for your salvation, but now you're letting go of the very grace that you've been saved by. And you're beginning to live as if you're not saved by grace. You're losing a grasp of grace in that way. It's not adding up. So hold on to grace. Because that's how you're going to be free in Christ. Don't let go of grace. Don't try to work for God. Trust Him. And trust His work on your behalf. And so if we're not working for God, what do we do? We are trusting in God. We're not working for God. Why? Because God is working for us. He's working in us. He's working in us to live a righteous life. We can't be good enough to have a righteous life, but God works in us. That we trust. That we exercise our faith in. God's pleasure is based not on your performance, but on Christ's performance for us. And everything we label working for God, it could be good things. Prayer, serving, praying, all those things are good things. But the reality is, is God uses them to work in us and through us. It's not that that makes us righteous. It's the Spirit of God using those things within us and teaching us and changing us. You see, what happens when all that happens, when we submit and allow God to work in us, who gets the glory? God. We have only one thing to say. Thank you. It's all by your grace. And He gets the glory. You see, when we get concerned about getting the glory, guess what? We start to work a little harder. And we start to trust in our abilities and our things. We're trusting in God. That's what it means to live by faith. Let's give a practical example. Let's say, let's, let's take lying. Okay? None of us have ever worried about that. And we've probably none done that. But think of some people maybe outside the walls who've lied. Okay? Just kidding. We all lie every day probably, unfortunately. And, uh, but let's, let's just take lying. I mean, we could say, I'm going to work for God and I'm going to quit lying. I'm going to try so hard. I'm going to really, really work at not lying. How's that worked for you? Not really good, does it? Because often, we don't have the power to quit lying. And we'll continue to lie for a lot of reasons. We're concerned about how we look before people. We like shortcuts, don't we? We'll lie so we can circumvent difficult situations. We'll lie to our advantage. We'll lie to save face. We'll lie on our taxes so we get a little money. And we'll lie all ways to get advantage. And, and the problem is, if we work for it, our lying, we're going to fail. Because we have that burden of trying to always, always tell the truth. But what if we live by faith? What if we trusted God and say, I don't need to lie. I don't need to lie on my taxes because I have a God who provides all my needs in Christ Jesus. 
What if we said, I'm not going to lie to try to save face because I'm fully accepted by God. And I trust that. And what if we said, I don't need to lie because the truth will set me free. And I trust God that when I tell the truth, He'll bring freedom and He'll bring resolution. There's a whole different focus, isn't it? We're not working anymore. We're trusting God. And that, that motivates us. It instructs us. And we find great freedom in that. In living in truth. There's a huge difference between walking in faith and trying to work for God. And so we live with faith. But he gives us a second thing in verse 5, a second component of walking in, uh, in freedom. And that is through the Spirit. We live through the Spirit. Christian freedom. We live by faith and we live it through the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you and enables you and I to experience the presence of Christ in us, the Spirit is the one who unites our lives with Christ. And that's really a principle, a truth we need to hang our hat on. The Spirit enables us to experience the presence of Christ. And this is huge when it comes to freedom. Because we're not free from Christ. We're free to Christ. And if you really think about those who subscribe to license and say, hey, I trusted Jesus, I received Him one day, I'm going to go do what I want, they're not free to Christ. They're alienating themselves from Christ. And now they're trying to live a life of freedom from Christ. But that's not freedom. That's bondage. We're called and and we have the privilege and the the power of the Spirit, the resources of the Spirit to live to Christ. Now consider something, because this text brings it up. So often, think of your conversations about salvation. When we say, what are the benefits of salvation, don't we often say forgiveness, right? One of the first things. Forgiveness, who does that benefit? Us. (laughs) Uh, We we think of deliverance. We, We think of heaven. All great things. But who do they benefit? Us. I mean, of course we want those. They're all about us in a certain degree. And so we get our ticket punched. We're going to get to heaven. We can get forgiveness, so we can just kind of go live it up. It doesn't matter. We're going to be forgiven in that mindset. In other words, we tend to think of salvation as what we're freed from. But the beauty of salvation isn't what we're freed from. It's what we're freed to. We're free to Christ. I love passage in Thessalonians. I'm not even close to my notes right now. And In Thessalonians, there's a great passage. Paul's talking about the coming of Christ and what the future holds. And what I love about it is he says, when Christ comes, people are going to marvel. And they're not going to marvel that their sins are forgiven. They're not at that point going to marvel about anything they did. They're not even going to marvel that they're going to heaven at that point. What people will marvel at is Jesus just Jesus. We're saved to Jesus. We're saved to a relationship with the living God. That's freedom. We're not saved from just stuff. And by the way, let me read what we're saved from, just in case you forgot. Because of his life, death, resurrection, we're free from God's wrath, the mastery of sin, the dominion of Satan and his demons, and living under the curse of the law. We're free from having to approach God with terror and dread. The condemning accusations of Satan and ourselves, I would add, and the tyranny of others' expectations. We're saved from that. That's pretty good stuff. But as great as that is, it's what we're freed and who we're freed to. That is the beauty of the gospel. We're free to Christ, we're free to Him. That's where freedom comes. That's what we're freed for. You see, God's goal for our freedom is is to live as redeemed people who love Him. Who are consumed with Him. 
He's released us from the prison of sin. Now we're free not to do those things that we would want to do necessarily, or our flesh would, but we're free to enjoy Him. We're free to enjoy Jesus. God's freedom takes us to Himself. Always does. So we talk about freedom in Christ. If it doesn't take you to Christ, that's a flag. Something else going on. I I better stop and reorient things. Because freedom in Christ will always take us to Himself. The one who is love. The one who is light. The one who is life. And you know, freedom in Christ also opens our way, the way, to the highest and best in this life that He's created for us. Instead of empty despair of sin, we are called to righteousness and hope. And rather than living in grasping selfishness, we're called to open-handed generosity. And instead of drifting in the haphazardness of our desires, we're directed into the steadfastness in the presence of Christ. We're not free to sin. We're freed from sin. And the Spirit enables us now to enjoy our relationship with Jesus Christ. And as believers, we're free to experience the beauty and the glory and the joy and the presence of Christ in our lives. That's what we're free to. We're not free from Christ to do what we want. We're free to Christ to do what He wants. And ultimately, that's where we find our greatest joy. Ultimately, it seems like when we start giving up what we think we really, really want, we find in Christ it's everything we could ever, ever want. And that's really the beauty of the Christian life. We're free to Christ, to His Word, to His commands. Matter of fact, you notice this connection in John 14 and John 15. Jesus says, He who has my commands and keeps them, He is the one who loves me. John 15, if you love me, you'll do what? Obey my commands. Why? Obedience comes because of a relationship. It's because you're free to Christ. That's where obedience comes from. Not to work to get to Christ, but free to enjoy Christ. That's why we obey. And really, what his parents, I mean, deep down, isn't that really what you want your kids to do? Not obey you because they want something or not really to obey you because they don't want to get punished. But wouldn't it be great if our kids always obeyed us just because, I don't know, they loved us? I think they love us, but there's a part of them that, I don't know, kind of avoids stuff and at least that's when I was. You're looking at me like I'm a foreign guy. I, that was me as a kid, man. I wanted stuff and I didn't want other stuff like punishment. So I obeyed. But Christ wants us to obey Him because of our love for Him. Our relationship with Him. And so Paul's addressing legalism. He's addressing license. In legalism, we live by faith. We don't work for God, but we trust in God. That's the opposite. That's freedom. That's what Paul's trying to tell them. License... No way. You see, we got the Spirit of God living in us not to indulge in the things of the world, but to rely on the Spirit so we can live to Christ and live for Him. But there's a third component about Christian freedom. Living with love. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith expressed or working through love. Verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. That's pretty clear, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, there's no beating around the bush, verse 13, you can't run from. Love is an expression of our faith. Faith expresses itself through love. John 13, 35, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. 
All men are going to know that you follow me, that you have faith in me. How? Because you love other people. You're a lover of people. If we live in our wants and our luxuries and turn a deaf ear to the poor, turn a deaf ear to the lost, that's not faith expressing itself in love. That's selfishness. Do we go to try to love? I mean, do we try really, really hard to earn God's favor? No, it means when, it, when we're trying to love so God has more favor on us, that's a problem with our faith because it's not being expressed in love. It always goes back to our faith in Christ. Is Christ in you? That's the number one question you've got to ask. And then if Christ is in you, then you and I need to ask Him to produce this kind of love through you. We can trust Him to do it. You and I can't conjure up love. Only Christ in us through His Spirit can we truly love. I sit down with couples and do premarital counseling a lot and marital counseling. And, and oftentimes they'll say, i got good news and i got bad news. Bad news is you can't love the other person. Possible. You're in a, you're in a pickle. You're about to make a commitment to be married and it's impossible to love them the way they need to be loved. But i got good news. God's got the love you need and He can love through you. So you've got a choice now. Each and every day, moment by moment, and we're, we all do, so we're probably talking to every couple here. You have a choice to try to love them on your own. Conjure it up. Try to, try to somehow manufacture the love. Or you can say, Christ, would you love through me in such a way that it meets those needs. They feel valued. They feel cherished. They feel respected. There's not a spouse in here who doesn't want Christ's love instead of our own. And so we're called to live with love, to express our faith and love, and to trust Him to love in us and through us. Tucked in Romans 5 is a great promise. Paul says to the church in Rome and to you and I, God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Didn't trickle it. He poured it. He gushed it. He gushed it into our hearts. Why? So it would overflow. We can't contain it all. And so there should be love in our life that's splashing and hitting people around us. Because God's poured His love into our hearts. You and I can live with love because God's done that. He's poured it into our hearts. Freedom means we live in that love. I always That word freedom is interesting, especially as Americans. We talk about freedom all the time. We protect and fight for freedom. We cling to freedom. We debate our freedoms. But what do we really mean? Isn't the conversation often at the core we mean I'm free to do what I want? Even the current debates, the moral debates in our country, I'll marry who I want. And you hear the moral debate of I'm free to believe what I want. I'm free to do what I want. Believe whatever we want. Think however we want. Live however we want. And that misunderstood concept of freedom can be brought in church. New Testament Christianity mindset, that can become enslaving if we're not careful. We're not free to indulge ourselves in all the stuff. We're free to love. We've been set free to love. We're now free to serve each other with a selfless love. Matter of fact, verse 14 says the entire command summed up and love one another. The bottom line is we need to take or ask Christ to take over our hearts by faith through His Spirit and that that faith would express itself in love. Christian freedom. Let's put it together. It's living by faith through the Spirit with love. There you go. There, there's your definition of Christian freedom. If you ever wonder what it is, living by faith through the Spirit, living with love. When you and I do that, 
we're experiencing freedom. And we're experiencing an exhilarating kind of life. We're going to run unhindered. Experience Jesus in greater ways. Loving people. Blessing them. And so he gets the glory in it all. Christian freedom. Living by faith through the Spirit with love. Expressing our faith. Last week I told you about a youth group trip we took on Old Blue. And uh, that, that prom alternative. Kids were running around the bus. Another youth group trip. We're on Old Blue again. Highway 53 North. Going to Bloomer. Going to retreat up there. A great time all weekend. We're in February. We're on the way back. Kids are exhausted because they never sleep at retreats. And unfortunately, then neither do the youth leaders. And so we're on the way back. Everyone's crashed. Old Blue breaks down right on the highway. And so we pull over. These kids are half groggy. What's going on? And all of a sudden they wake up because Old Blue's dead and we're on the highway and it's in February. And it's starting to get cold. So what do you do? Well, this is one reason I like teenagers. Even though the resources failed, life just began for them. So 30, 40 kids hop off the bus. Alongside the shoulder of the road, they say, I got an idea, let's make snow angels. So there they are. Cars honking off the interstate and they're just making snow angels, snowball fights, having the time of their life. I like teenagers. You know, even when everything fell apart, even when their resources failed, they made snow angels, there's laughter, unhindered joy, and there's freedom from a bus that would not even work. And some of you here are sitting on a broken bus. You're tired, you're worn, you've tried this Christian life, but you've run it hindered. Whether it be license or legalism, you've tried to pull it. You've tried to run it yourself, and it hasn't worked so good, has it? And yet this morning, Paul says, get off the bus. Start living by faith through the power of the Spirit and expressing your faith and love. And you know what? It won't be angels that you start to model in the snow. It'll be Christ. It'll be Christ. Because that's where Christian freedom will always lead us to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I love so much when We open your word and it seems to clarify so much. I'm so grateful for that. Lord, this week and even this morning, I recognize there's some in this room who are carrying a huge burden right now. And they got to confess they've tried this Christian life maybe by trying to follow the rules or throwing all the rules out and said, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And this morning in their heart of hearts, they know that hasn't worked either. It's just led to greater bondage. So God, what I'm praying is that whether someone's carrying the burden of legalism or of license, because both are burdens, that they'd lay them at your feet with confession, repentance, and God would receive from you a greater measure of joy and peace and freedom. Help each of us to trust You, God. To trust that You're working in us and through us. Lord, help us to live through the resources of the Spirit, not on our own. Help us to call upon You regularly and receive Your power and Your wisdom. 
And God, I pray that as we follow you, as we trust you, that you'd allow us to love people in greater ways. Your love would just splash over as we serve each other and serve others and not ourselves. Help us, God, in the day-to-day to experience what freedom really is. Protect us individually and as a church from becoming enslaved. And Lord, that the communities we live in, we'd be a light and as people would see You in us and would be drawn to You, God. That would be our greatest desire because we know ultimately that would bring You the greatest pleasure and would glorify You. That's our heartbeat. And so Jesus, help us do all these things. Help us to experience this great freedom You've provided. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.